Hey, Grizzden listeners, this is part two of our two-part podcast, recapping the 11-game win streak. In part one, if you missed it, we talked about our favorite moments from the win streak, some notable absences and injuries, the national media attention the Grizzlies got, the team offense and team defense, and then finally we ended with talking about John Morant's ascension. So if you haven't gotten a chance to listen to part one, I would highly encourage it. But in part two, we're going to talk more about the win streak, and we're going to end talking about the the future implications that this has for the Grizzlies. So I hope you enjoy. Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, we 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 alluded to his to his defense in part one and the importance there, uh, but let's talk about Jaron at the five. And I want to kick it off by pulling up a tweet by a Fast Break Breakfast. Uh, and Keith Paris is the guy who runs that. He has a podcast as well. But he he tweeted as a starting center, Jaron Jackson Jr. is averaging ten point three rebounds and four point eight blocks per game. For your information. <laughs> Uh, small, small, small sample size at the yeah, time. How many games is that? Do you know? I'm pretty sure that was like three. Uh, okay. But even still, I mean, he is he is showing that more often than not, he could he could hold his own at the five, and it's not something that we could have said earlier than now, uh, legitimately. And like I, I had mentioned in part one. Against the Warriors, he when he was on the floor, it was a completely different ball game. Granted, Golden State is about the most ideal matchup for him at the five. Uh, but what do you guys think? I mean, Jaron Jaron is was the biggest question. We knew we knew what job ja was going to bring this season. Jaron was the biggest question. Uh, what do you think is the long term? implications of how he's played at the five if if there are any do you think that that is his future position number one and number two what do you think the viability of of him playing the five uh is i'm sure ty probably has better points on this so mine's gonna be really quick i I just i think that we can learn a lot from anthony davis and that we don't want I've, i've said this before and i really i believe this i don't think we want trip to bulk up much more than he already is now I think we want to keep his weight around where he's at. And I think that means that he's always going to be a, a five flex. We're going to always need a Steven Adams type to be a banger if we need it. Um, and that's mainly just because I just I think that his offensive game, where what we're seeing the flashes now of just his length and how he can finish at the rim, can still help him to like he to Ty's point early on the part one of our podcast. I hope you listened to that earlier on what his three point percentage was, where I said it was two hundred percent and it's really twenty percent. He's still fifty uh, percent of those games. He still had twenty plus points, and that's because he can still get to the rim and he's long as hell. So I just I don't I think that that could go away if he bulks up too much, and I don't want to see that. But Ty, you can bring the real five takes. <laughs> I this is like so I'm just so fascinated by this just topic. 
to me to like pin him down as like the future five, that's just really hard for me to like commit to. It just really is. Like I know he's shown flashes, but it, it's flashes. It's difficult for me to see him, and we haven't, you know, he hasn't had to guard Embiid yet necessarily. He hasn't had to guard Jokic yet necessarily. Like just him being the sole, the only guy available to guard other bigs. Mm-hmm. Um, That's the point. I'm, honestly, Brantley, I couldn't agree more with you. I think Jaron is a mismatch nightmare in the right situation. And I think that can be flipped as well. I think Jaron can be taken advantage of on the defensive end as well in certain matchups. And I know there's, you know, most people in the league, not everyone can do everything. Gobert is apparently a generational defender. And if you switch him out in the perimeter, like, he's going to get cooked. So, like, there's, you know, there's pros and cons to, to everything. I think Jaron's offensive game, too, is extremely versatile. I think him playing the five, I don't know what that looks like, just him always being the five, like his post-up game, all that kind of stuff. I just think it gets, I think it gets tricky. Um, I think Steven Adams is a perfect complement to Jaron and our offensive lineup. Kind of what you were saying earlier, Brantley, he shot 20% from three. So basically, of his attempts, you know, in the last 12 games, the majority of his shots came within five feet of the basket. 51 shots came within five feet of the basket. Kind of like I said on part one, he's only shooting 45% from there. That is like not good. 45%, less than 50% at the rim is bad, right? He's not really doing anything there. The next point, his most kind of like on his arrange, you know, on the floor, whether that's, you know, within five feet, five to 10 feet, 10 to 15, you know, all the way out. His second most attempts come from 25 to 29 foot, so basically a three, right? So he's either shooting 51 of his shots came basically at the rim. The second most come from three, and he's shooting 20% from there. So he's kind of like either getting to the basket, shooting from the three. I don't know. I just think I think right now that's really hard to basically say this is what he's going to be moving forward. I just think that's a fluid situation, and I think that you can't pin him as being one thing now, and that's just what you have to bank on moving forward. Here's here's my thing about Jaron at the five, and I, I think that it's 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 really important to think in terms of the playoffs. And if you get the wrong matchup in the playoffs, then that could be trouble for for Jaron at the five. I think that as a regular season five, he is almost at the point where I would be comfortable with it. Like if he's the starting five, uh on a night-in, night-out basis, there's a good chance that even if he gets matched up with, let's say, like a Jokic or a, an Embiid, his offense is good enough to potentially compete if he's hitting threes. Now, it, it could outweigh basically what the liability on defensive end is. However, in a playoff series, I do think that you have to have someone else uh, because, number one, while the foul situation with him has gotten markedly better I still think that it's an issue and I think that it still gets in his head if he gets more than a couple in the first 12-13 minutes of a game and so you're gonna get uh, a more tentative Jaron uh, still and that's that comes it's just maturation we people forget he's still literally 22 years old so it's gonna come with time 
But I, I would say that I've been encouraged enough to think that as a regular season five, he, he has what it takes to at least have you know us in the, in the range of winning that we want to be going into the playoffs. Now, again, like I said, playoffs is a whole other scenario. He's not a, he's not a guy that's going to be uh, great no matter what matchup he has. It's very matchup dependent. So we'll see. We'll see on that one. And I think we'll, I think we'll have our answer in a few years. I yeah. think what's, what happens with Steven Adams, he's an expiring contract next year. If we trade him, you know, for, as an expiring or whatever that looks like, I think our front office will tell us, okay, Jaron's the guy at the five. I think if that doesn't happen, I think if we do some kind of like team-friendly extension for Steven Adams or whatever that looks like, I think now you know. Another thing I want to say is I feel like a lot of our front office guys, they've basically kind of like, I don't want to say like thrown people into the fire, but they've definitely been like, I don't mind putting you in an uncomfortable position position because this will, you know, lead to your development. And we're just going to do that by basically just like, as soon as Ja got drafted, we gave him the keys to the truck and said, here you go. This is yours for better or worse. I don't know if we've done that with Jaron at the five yet. You know what I mean? We've always had someone there to fill that spot, to fill the absolute five. You are the starting five. It was JV first and now it's Steven Adams second. We haven't really thrown Jaron into the fire of being like, listen, you're the five, figured out, this is just us moving forward. I don't really know what to think of that either. I just thought that was an interesting point. Could be nothing. I don't know. Well, that's why we traded JV, you know? It, he was, it, was, it was time to give Jaron the responsibility of— But we got of, Adams in return, who can like definitely only play one position— for sure, and he's still starting at the five, you know? Yeah. Like, JV, but I feels JV, about offensive touches to me versus, like, position. It was more, Correct. It was more of an, inc- Brantley, yeah. it was an incremental trade uh, in that way. It wasn't a complete throwing into the fire. But um, I do agree, Ty. I think that's that's a good point for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think Tripp is just destined to be this awesome hybrid flexible player that we can throw in and, and leverage in multiple different types of ways and I, I hope I sort of just am comfortable with that being his destiny I, yeah, yeah. I, he, regardless I be... he, regardless right now with the roster construction is the guy that I always want on the floor like I look up and I'm like our our offense and defense goes with Jaron now it's like like because we can sub, right now we have the benefit of subbing in Tyus and still maintaining a really great offensive flow if Tripp's in the game. I know that job brings us to a different level, but, like, Tripp just, we sort of, he's kind of become like what Conley used to be for us some, where we kind of just went with where Conley was. That's a really terrible comparison, but but that's just the emotion that I feel at times when I'm watching the games. No, it's true. On the defensive end, so I was talking to Jacob Kent about this, friend of the pod. Shout out. Like, if you look at Giannis, what if, what if Milwaukee was just like 6'11", freak athlete, he's our five moving forward? You know, like that's just going to be the five. He, they've never done that. And I'm not saying Jaron is Giannis, but Jaron right. is amazing on the weak side, right? Phenomenal. He can switch. He can guard multiple positions. He's a great floater. If you just have him around, like floating around, help side, all this kind of stuff, he's able to do all of that. But Milwaukee's always had a traditional big. They just have always had one. And I know their offensive skill sets are different. I know Giannis is definitely more like open floor, drive, handle the ball a lot more, setting people up. Jaron's not there yet. But if you look on the defensive side of things, to me it makes – that makes sense, right? 
So that was like a comparison that I tried to think through too, is like Giannis is, you know, well into his prime. He's as good as a defender as he'll ever be. He's almost the same specs as Jaron is, and they still have that big traditional five. They literally, you know, picked up Boogie Cousins to try to see if he could do some of that stuff too. They have Brooke Lopez able to do that stuff too. So I think there's value with Jaron not playing a traditional five role. And I think in today's NBA, you need versatility, kind of like what we were saying in part one. You've got to be able to throw different looks at different teams depending on the matchup. And I think if someone has an Embiid or a Jokic where they're just going to go to the paint and just stay there, I think Jaron would struggle there, just like I think potentially Giannis would too, right? So I could see, and I think you can have a traditional big on the, on the floor on offense because Jaron can hurt you multiple ways. He can stretch the floor. He can shoot. He can take people off the dribble a little bit. So you have some flexibility there, and I think you should use that benefit, you know, and kind of have that traditional big on the floor. But that could all change in five years. I have no idea. But me looking at it right now, that's kind of the way I think about it. Side note, I had so much fun watching Evan Mobley versus Jaron Jackson against the Cavs. And I just, I mean, I'm partly glad that we're not in their conference because I don't like playing them. Uh, in part because they're good now. But those two guys, to me, are really good comps for each other. Um, and Jared Allen is their true five, and Mobley yeah. comes in and plays the four, even though they're both yeah. seven feet tall. So, uh, anyway, I just wanted to make that point. They were, they were really fun to watch against each other. Um, let's move on to talk about who the guy who has now risen to essentially third in the pecking order, Really, second, if you're talking about the offensive end, that's Desmond Bain. I mean, just we had preached Bain on this podcast, and it were, we're his fans, I feel like, from day one. And I, I correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure we were all unanimous at the start of the year saying that he should, he should be the starting two, no matter what. And I can honest, honestly say, I'll speak for myself, I did not see this coming this fast. Um, he was always going to be a guy that I thought could score and heat up on a certain night, but I never thought that his second year in the league we'd be relying on him to score 23 a game consistently and, and that become an expectation less than halfway through the year. And so let's talk about Desmond Bain and the importance to this Grizzlies team that he's already become. And, I mean, is he the most improved player this year? I I. I kind of think that Ja Morant wants to give him the award because Ja doesn't want the MIP. He thinks that's lame. But, I mean, I don't know. I think Bain and Ja might be the number one and number two. No, you're probably right there. Um, Bain, yeah, his ascension is crazy. No one can really see this coming, not this year. He's fourth in the entire league and made threes this year, which is just nuts. Um, absolute sniper, I think that's what Ja tweeted uh, when we drafted him on draft night. Um, but not only that, he's just able to do so much. Um, he can kind of be like a little mini offensive hub at times. And we use him really like in really fun ways. And shout out Grayson Allen for moving along so we can, we can have this experience. <laughs> Bain's shooting 42% on seven attempts a game. Seven. Not just like set, like stand still, like okay, just assist his shots. Like he has that little stutter step, step back that he did on Curry 
against Golden State. Oh. oh my gosh, that was just wild. It looks like he traveled. He took like nine steps, but they're just so quick and little. I guess they don't call it. It's just, man, something. I yeah, also love – go ahead. I was just going to say he rarely has a night where he's, you know, below 30%, I would say. You know, like as an off night. He's had two off nights recently. Um, but really, he might have an off night here and there. But for the most part, he's pretty just like he's open, he's going he's gonna to hit. I also love that we run – if you notice, watch the Grizzlies. If the play doesn't break down for one one reason or another, we almost always run the play for Bain in the first possession of the game. Why? He'll come around this curl screen on the wing, and he'll get this pass, whether it's from Ja or whoever's starting at the three, and he'll have a high post jumper just to kind of in rhythm. And uh, I think that's, that's just a, kind of a small detail, but I love that we run the play for him. First off, and then in transition, he's oh, unbelievable. Oh, like he can, his it. finishing ability, uh, and also he has sneaky hops too. I mean, he can he can really get up if there's nobody guarding him. But I mean, he he has become to the he's embraced this this identity of he's not a he's not this trash talker that is. I don't know. I don't know the, the best way to describe his trash talking, but it's not it's not your typical uh, in your face sort of rah rah trash talking. It's more like these kind of small, yeah, really small comments and like the little smirks. stuff like that. He'll get an and one and just like kind of nudge into the defender. What do you think yes. he said to LeBron? What do you think he said to LeBron? Oh god, I don't. I mean, what do uh, you say to LeBron? That's my thing. It's like. Do you just say scoreboard or something? I mean, I don't know because at that point in time we were beating them. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't even imagine. know. I just, yeah, and also love how we just empowered him. Like, we've just, like, you know what, man? Like, we think that you're something special on our team. Have at it. Started him from the gate, extremely involved in the offense. We, you know, get, it was obvious we gave him the ball at Summer League, let him run the point. Um, I just, yeah, because Bill Simmons did a dumb thing the other day that he was like, people love to talk about Bain, but if he was in Boston, he would just be standing in the corner all the time. And I was like, that's dumb. That's kind of discrediting what Bain's doing. But I was kind of like, honestly, maybe he would be. Maybe Boston is just like, no, we're just gonna, you're just going to stand here. We have Tatum and Brown. They're going to do everything. Back to, I know we're, we've done our jaw thing, but the fact that Ja will just go to the corner on some possessions and just let Bain do his thing is also awesome. But we've, like, our coaching staff, like you said, we run plays for him constantly. We try to get him open looks. Um, I just, yeah, I think – and he's flourished because of it. Like, he's, he's proven himself. Yeah, his wanna... movement has made him, made him really difficult. He's, made, he's a difficult guard. He, yeah. he's, he um, is obviously got some amazing shoulders. I love to talk about them because I'm jealous um, of them. And uh, he just – he's got some – he can cook, man. He can. And it, there was a that great profile was written about him in The Athletic, talking about sort of where he came from. At one point in time, he, was, he wasn't even recruited by any D1 schools until he decided or he got a last-minute uh, letter from TCU um, and almost didn't even make it to that workout. And it was just a really, really, really cool story uh, with him. I, I, wanted, I wonder if there's tracking data behind the 
shots in which there's a timeout called by the other team after that shot because of the momentum that it brings. Because I think that Desmond Bain would be like number one on our team in that metric. Uh, because it always seems like at some point in the third quarter where we're making another run, it's a three by him that just caps off this like, you know, nine zero run, and the other team has to call a timeout. So if you're out there, Twitter, um, and you hear this, let's start tracking that because I, I'd be interested to see who leads not only the team but maybe the league in that in that category. Because I think Bain's got to be up there. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk about now two guys uh, who have made complete resurgences from where they were prior to this win streak. Uh, one of them is, is Zaire Williams, who uh, we'll talk about him in a second, but then uh, Brandon Clark as well, which I will do my best not to take a victory lap on this uh, in this, <laughs> in this podcast. But let's, no, let's you start. you can take a victory lap. That's, that's well, let's, l- let's start with Z. Um, I ran some, some numbers on his plus minus before and after the win streak. Pre-injury pre-injury, which was before this win streak, combined in all the games that he had played, he was a minus 61, and mm. it showed. That's he, not good. He was uh, arguably the number one reason besides Dylan being – he's the number two reason. Let's say Dylan being out was number one, but number two reason why, I mean, our injury was just – or sorry, our defense was just pretty terrible. Um, he, he was playing a lot of minutes as a rookie – uh, was was losing guys, uh, wasn't quite big enough to to hang. First time, I don't know what happened in this rehab period in this injury, but he has come out with with more confidence than I've seen him play with all season long. During this win streak, he's been a plus forty two. Now, Gosh. if you're keeping track at home, that is a hundred point swing. <laughs> um, Zaire is has become like the lob partner. Of, of John Morant, uh, especially in that Warriors game. I'm pretty sure he had three different lobs. And then he has – he's been a sniper, honestly. Like, not only in the corner, but everywhere. I mean, I've been so impressed by how he's played, and it's been just just as much uh, impressed as it is relieved because it didn't look like for a minute there that, um, that this year was going to have any fruit – for for Zaire, so what? How how have y'all um, have y'all thought about Zaire's return? What do y'all think about how he now fits in this team, and has it has it been how has it been an encouragement? Well, I, I think to your point is it started off rough, but I think you have like if you drafted him ten in the position that you're in, I think you had to just like stick with him. And you can almost, like, see his confidence in that, too. Like, he's a – not only, like, is he just shooting the ball better and stuff like that, he just looks like a completely different guy. He's crazy active, too. Like, his hands are always in passing lanes. Um, he's not afraid to take big shots. The lob threat, like you said, is just so much fun. He looks like he has the most fun out of anyone on the floor, like, at all times, which is super fun. Um, he fits with our – with our group crazy well and he's showing flashes and I feel like for you know the project that he was coming in I feel like that's that's all you need to see from him right now you need to see him with flashes also think it's helped that he's been playing in the starting lineup where his role is pretty condensed um, and he needs to do like three things well to be successful 
Um, and he's starting to do those things well. He runs the floor. He plays hard defense. The fact that he was the primary defender on Steph during the whole Golden State game was wild to me. Um, again, throwing him in the fire and just kind of seeing if he can hold his own. Um, and he's shooting really well from the corners. Um, if he can do those things well, and that's kind of, I remember I read something on him earlier, and he kind of talked about that, like in high school, um, you know, before he became like a dominant player on this high school team, the coach was like, hey, we need you to defend and hit open shots. And he was like, cool, I got that. And then he graduated on to the next thing, right? And he compared like his, you know, early stint in the NBA, his rookie year to the same thing. Okay, I need to do like two or three things really well. I need to be able to hit like my open shots. I need to be able to defend and be active. And he's doing that. And if he can just be a traditional role player right now, almost like a 3 and D role player and grow into something more, um, if we can get that out of him right now, that's huge. And I, I, I think that you ha- when you talk about Bain and Zaire, you have to like – the question that comes to mind to me is like, would these guys be looking as good if they were on a different franchise? And, and I, maybe – but because I don't want to take anything away from them and their talent, but this is where you have to start talking about like franchising culture and role definition and coaching and providing like clear, like here's what is successful for you right now on our team. Do this. Great. Now let's, what's the next evolution tied to your point? It's like, Bain last year had a very defined role. They expanded it. They gave him opportunities. They gave him confidence, and he grew. Like, they gave Zaire. They weren't reluctant to put him in the lineup, even though it was sort of – it was really hurting us. And everyone was like, how long is this going to go on? Like, we were sort of starting to get, like, little – you know, the the trauma of draft picks was coming back of, like, trying to force Jarrell Martin to be a thing type stuff. You know, those were – that was kind of – Grizzlies lore was coming back and you know his break uh, in a couple of the broadcasts you know Brevin and team talked about how Zaire just was like yeah I was able to sit back watch some film see what I was doing better it was good for him to take a step back and I, I put that to coaching and him it's both it's like you've got people who are surrounding him who are helping him see like hey we've said this is what we need you to do let's watch this let's get better and it's i mean the the numbers are backing it up dude he's shooting 28 percent from three for the year since he's returned he's shooting close to 36 percent. so it's like it's it's real math that it's not and and it's like it, there's also he's quickly become and i don't know if brevin's listening to the podcast or what but He's become a guy that's like, when he shoots, you think it's going in. We now have Bain and Zaire both, where every time they shoot, I think it's going in. And, I, look, I I think you have to start to say, like, these – you any move now in the draft from our front office, I'm not – they've gone to where now we can't question it. It's there's there's zero. If they say we've got three picks next year and we don't want to go after somebody, we want to take three shots and maybe get two. Like, all right, cool, because clearly they're doing something to be able to go and get these guys and develop them. And I, I I'm not saying Zaire is going to turn into like this unbelievable wing um, that's an all star, but he doesn't look like nothing. Yeah, and I think to me. The thing that I want to watch the most closely is his on the defensive end. And like you said, Ty, like him guarding Steph. And, of course, Steph got his at some level. He gets his on everybody. But, like, Zaire didn't do a, a terrible job 
and his length really bothered Steph at times. He was able to get through screens. Um, I think that is going to be incredibly important, especially playing next to what I assume will be the backcourt of the next few years, or hopefully more than that, in uh, John Morant and Desmond Bain. Because those two guys, for, for how hard they play on the defensive end, they're just not huge guys. And so they're, they're going to have limitations. And so it's really important if you're going to have a guy like Zaire. And we'll see how long, too, Dylan is, is a, a, another defender uh, there next to, hopefully, Zaire. But it's just if, if Jaron is going to be a 4-5, then you're going to have a guy on the wing who's going to need to step up. And we see all the teams that have won championships in recent years have wings that can score. And so that's another reason why I really love Kyle Anderson on our team because he's a wing stopper. But but Zaire has to get to that point at some level. And if he can add on the offensive end as well, I think that is, I mean, you're talking about a, a, a franchise-changing pick as well, even though it might be a few years. I mean, the, le- the league is is uh, all about these these wings who can both score and defend. And if you have one of those, you have a very scarce resource. And so uh, I've been so, so encouraged by Zaire's development uh, and, and, and honestly mm-hmm. did not expect it. I mean, that is the, yeah. the, the most surprising thing from this streak uh, for me has, has been Zaire, despite everything else that went right. I mean... It's been unbelievable to watch. That's the crazy thing. Every player on our team right now has, besides maybe one, has developed and grown. That has been on our team for a while. Okay, so forget Adams. The but one even Adams. <laughs> Adams, even his is, like passing ability and stuff like we're that. Giving him like... a better, we're giving him a. We're giving him a very clear defined role. But like you look at Tilly and and Xavier and BC. And Conchar and Zaire and Ja and Trip, all of these guys, there's none of them. Can you look at them and say they haven't grown and gotten better? Yeah, it's totally. nuts. It's it's, it's true. Um, let's talk about Brandon Clark. Um, I the floor is yours. Yeah. The floor is yours, Will. <laughs> Listen, should there... you record? Is this part three or something? <laughs> yeah, I'll record my own solo episode later on BC. I've been so so excited about his performance, and it's been uh, not only because of my like personal uh, support that I've had for him, but when he, Brandon Clark plays well, it opens up an element of this team that that nobody else can, and it's because of his not only threat um, in lobs, but the way that he uh, seems to complement Jaron in a lot of ways because he he can get in for rebounds. He's just kind of this do-it-all type of guy. Granted, the three-point shot to me is still an area. I mean, he hit a couple against Dallas last night. Um, one of them play. was a four-point <laughs> play. But just the, the way in which he will finish. He's a play finisher, which I love. Uh, anything within like six feet of the basket this year in particular is going in. And yep. so he and Tyus are the two where I, I don't think they've taken a shot within seven feet that hasn't gone in this year. And so when you have that on your team, it, and, and his athleticism as well, um, not only on the offensive end, but um, in, tra- in transition, on defense, um, he gets into passing lanes. He's, 
he's just everywhere. He's one of those guys that's just going to be everywhere on the floor. And when you have he and Jaron with their activity as the four and five, it's just going to be really difficult to play against. And I think that he, um, it comes down, though, to him making shots. And I think that he's been making shots, and it's been, it's been so cool to see what that's added to, uh, to the Grizzlies this season. And I think one of the things that we were talking about was, uh, I mean, he was in just about every trade, uh, fake trade that we had uh, about two, two, you know, a month and a half, two months ago. Uh, but now, to me, he's he's almost. I mean, he's he's past Tillman in the pecking order. Uh, I still think Tillman can have a lot uh, to bring to the team as well. But for some reason, Tillman just hasn't been able to get anything at the rim this year at all. Like even his bunnies haven't gone in. And so um, I don't know. It's been it's been a lot of fun to see. I'm so glad that he's playing well. I just think it makes the overall team better when he does. I think he's. He's shown that he can be a winning player, uh, and and I'm excited when he's coming in the game because I know I know the energy that he's going to bring, and I think that's his number one asset: is his energy, his activity, um, and, and his athleticism. So uh, well, happy for BC. Well, let me ask you this: so last year you could say was a struggle for him, hundred percent. So would you would you put that towards him being injured, like a little bit banged up for the year? Or, what I kind of think it is, is that the coaching staff kind of let, kind of gave him a little bit too long of a leash and kind of extended his role maybe outside of what he was comfortable with just to kind of see. And now this year they've kind of gotten back to, all right, man, you're going to like, you're going to get your floaters and your lobs and you're not going to dribble very much and we're going to play you with Jaron a ton. I'm just curious to see what your thoughts are there. Yeah, I think that he, all of a sudden, I think that he had a lot of shooting luck when it came to beyond the arc. I mean, I think we're going to look back uh, five years down the line at his career and, and just be shocked at, at the anomaly that was his year one in the NBA. And so I think he is now, I think year one and year two were the top and the bottom of the spectrum of Brandon Clark. And so I'm thinking in year three, you're really seeing him Stay comfortable in his role uh, and 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 really stick to what he does best. I mean, you'll see him take a couple threes if he has to at the end of a shot clock, but it still looks so weird. Like his shot just <laughs> looks so weird. It and changes so, every year too. And like, what's it gonna look like next year? Exactly. But what you do know is that he is going to. He's like I said, he's a play finisher. So if it, the ball is around the rim, um, he is going to be right there to get his Z-bounds, to tap it in, to uh, just keep the play alive. And I think that's that's just what he does. But I think you're right, Ty. I think that there was a leash given. Uh, I, I got to think, too, that with Valanciunas being so dominant in the mm. paint, his yeah, role great. had to be yeah. uh, in a little bit more space. But now that Jaron is out there, he's able to operate the paint in a lot more freedom. Um, and so I think that has just opened up his game in a lot of ways. Yeah. Love yeah, it. I think that's Love true, and I think a lot of a lot of the pushback that I had with him last year was even just like, what is his role in a playoff series? And I think that it, it's a little bit more clear as like the energy guy off the bench, because um, that is a real role and function that is needed from maybe multiple different types of players, but in a playoff series to come give you a nine ten minute spurt, re- go really hard 
you know, sprint the floor, do all those types of things. He could really, he can really serve and play in that role. And he really, I don't, he, I wouldn't describe him as an energy guy last year. I don't really know how I would have described him. Yeah. It was just, there was just nothing. It was and a mental I'm, block almost. It, it was, was weird. It affected everything. So like seeing that from Melton this year, by the way. But yeah, ooh, I'm all in. We'll get to him. BC being the energy guy in that role, like that is him, and it's worth it. And you know, I would retract all of my negativity towards him and all that sort of stuff that I was because it, it, to your, I think it's a great point. I hadn't thought about that. I think t- yeah, well, maybe this will lead us into our next one, but. It seems like him and Kyle are truly playing very similar roles. And yes, Jenkins and I, all of our coaches are huge on this 10-man rotation, regardless of who's healthy and who's not. I mean, we will, we will play that, you know, 10-day contract guy if, he, if he's our 10th. Like, we are playing 10 players. But it really seems like Kyle and BC, and they play with each other some too, um, which hopefully will be less because BC is not a five, and I think we've we've been able to say, hey, guy, you're not a five, like, period. But looking at, like, kind of roster construction moving forward, it those two are kind of overlapping a little bit as well. They play very differently, but they do play the same position, um, yeah. which is kind of interesting. I, I think the, the difference between the two is that BC is more of, like, the – He's going to take the guy who's going to be closer to the paint, and I feel like Kyle's strength on the defensive end is on the wing yeah. and just actually guarding those those guys who are three-point threats. But I agree that at the offensive end, if they're behind the three-point line, it's the end of the shot clock, and they both get the ball kicked out to them, you're nervous. For uh, sure. They're very, yeah. like, dependent on others, you know, offensive players. And I feel like them playing together – and usually Jaron is in the game when they when they're on the floor together, but I feel like that like is a, almost like a must. It's just interesting to think through those two because, like I was saying, they they are very different players. They have very different strengths and weaknesses, but essentially they're both fours. Yeah. yeah. Um, yep. So it's, it's true. like it's kind of interesting moving forward, you know. So. Yeah. Uh, the the tenth point out of eleven that we have, and we we don't have to spend too much time here because. Uh, there's not much to say except for just the fact of the matter is we are the deepest team in the NBA. And I don't think there's an argument. I think that you saw how many guys contributed during this win streak, not the least of which was my boy, John Conchar. But by the numbers, we had 22 different players that played during the win streak. 22. Now, a couple of them were these hardship contracts that played at the very end of like the Pistons game. But like, at the end of the day, we still had 22 players, and we had six different starting lineups that were made up of 10, 10 different players. And so I think that goes to show just how important the details are to the front office, how important the Killian Tilly signing is, how important, you know, the uh, Sam Merrill's had his, his, his injury recently and hasn't played. Uh, but he's off the squad squad with Tilly being signed. So it's like even those types of guys where they give the opportunity to the two way guy to step up and actually reward him for the work that he's been doing and the way that he's been playing. And so I think it's, and it's interesting too this problem where we have them, all these guys now under deep control 
for so long at such cheap deals that with three first round picks in this next draft, it's almost like there's, I mean, there's not, there might not be room uh, for, for any more uh, draft pick hits. I mean, it's, it's, the minutes are becoming kind of hard. Even Xavier Tillman, a guy like that is finding a hard time getting minutes um, unless like Adams or Jaron aren't playing. So Anyway, I just wanted to make a note about the depth, and if there's anything you guys have to add about the importance there, uh, feel free. No, I don't have much to add. I think I've sort of talked about just that it's a great compliment to the front office, and it's been a great – it's so connected to this last point to me because it's it's how long do we want to be the deepest team in the NBA is really the question. Yeah, let's move into it. So uh, in the last month, we've seen a a very stark shift in the way that uh, people are thinking about this team. Uh, I predicted at the very beginning of the year that we would we would be the seventh seed, I believe, in the play in and that or I might have said six. It was either six or seven, but basically the bottom half in the playoff picture, probably a first round exit. Um, but just kind of another step in, in the right direction, but not quite the full step to, oh, you might be a contender now. But this is where we are. And so how does that change? We've, we've texted about this a ton, but I think it's fair now that we can actually talk about it on the podcast of where we feel this team is now and how that should inform what the team is is going to do in the trade deadline what they should do in the trade deadline and moving forward so i don't know where to start that's kind of a huge topic but let's start somewhere well I just want you to have this to, to y'all go talk oh, yeah, now what nope. are you gonna say nope no nope. okay all right current roster right now current landscape of the league everything stays the same this year is there a move that we can make to truly put ourselves in like, oh man, we could like, we could truly like make a run at the title. Is there a move in your opinion out there for this season that makes sense and is plausible and that we could do? Um, what would it take in your mind? What type player, what not? Is there a certain player? Could we get that player? Okay. Is are there players that could help us make a run for the title? Yes. Um, will we go after that player? No. Could we get that player? Maybe. Mm, I love think that it. I, Break it down. I think, I think that there are, I'm going to say two-ish players creatively that could fit on our roster that we could go and get that would help us make a run. And I don't know how deep. I don't really know. And I think that the, uh, you, I'm, the obvious one is Bradley Beal. The other mm-hmm. one that I think is just I'm, – I don't really think this is even remotely a possibility is like someone like Paul George. Hmm. Because the, cause the Clips are in a really weird spot. Maybe Kawhi comes back. Uh, he's not even getting mentioned as being traded. But, like, I don't even think it's – for this year. That was the question right. for this year. Um, and I, do I want to do either of those? No. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to state that, but I, I do think that there, you, 
Because to your point, your question on this tie is, and to respond to Will is, this is now all about saying, oh, we're in Jaws' window. And that that is because he's getting talked about as first-team All-NBA, MVP. His window's open. It's right now. And it could last for five seasons. It could last for 15. It might last for four. I, we don't know. The history of small point guards in the NBA is not massively long windows. That's just history. It has nothing to do against jaw. That's just the way it is. So, realistically, in my mind, I am saying this year, let's let's let this this iteration of this team go as far as they can. Learn. Let's learn even more than we've got. And I think we have to start moving some chips in next year. That's just mm-hmm. my opinion. If if the goal is to win a championship with jaw in his window, I think the window is open right now I think the other player that's worth mentioning is Jalen Brown I think that's uh, a guy that we've talked about for a while now it is uh, apparent that he is the top guy to be talking through uh, in terms of fake trades but I nobody knows if the Celtics are actually going to move him Paul George I hadn't heard that name actually but he is dealing with an injury right now, which could... I mean, I think that he's probably going to see where the Clippers are, see what happens at the trade deadline, maybe decide whether or not he's even going to play more next year, or this year, excuse me. Um, so that, But that's an interesting one because he definitely fits the profile of who we need right now. Uh, and I, I do think that it's important to remember how much we learned from such a small sample size of games in our playoff series against the Utah Jazz last year. I mean, imagine if uh, Xavier Tillman weren't to have hit that three-pointer in Golden State and then Ja hits that floater. Let's say we don't win. They go to the playoffs. They play the Jazz, and we just are done with the season after that playing game. Uh, What had we learned? I mean, how much did we gain in terms of respect and appreciation for Dylan Brooks in that Utah Jazz game? I think we would probably have the exact same opinion. We would probably not have as much nuance as we talk about with Dylan as we do now, just simply because of the way he stepped up in the playoffs. And how do we talk about DeAnthony Melton now? Um, it's not with the same. It's not with the same sort of like excitement and uh, not with the same sort of hope for the potential because we've seen what happened when he was in the playoffs. That's two players that I felt like we had very different opinions on before that playoff series. And it's amazing what that can expose. And so we were talking about this earlier because I think there's a lot of exciting possibilities. And I think that Memphis has positioned themselves in such a unique way with the assets that they have in terms of draft capital uh, contracts right now that are just right in the middle of the road. Do you want, you know, do you want to get any player that's making any amount of money? We can we can come up with a package to get there, um, and we probably can entice you with enough draft capital to where you at least have to think about it. And so, we are in a very unique position as a potential seller. But at the same time, I want to see this team compete because they've been competing against the top teams in the NBA. You look at the win streak, they had a win against Golden State. They had a win against Phoenix. They beat a a Lakers team, which isn't great, but it has LeBron James on it. I mean, like, I think that we can make noise with with the team that we have right now. And I'd love to wait until the summer. Besides, let's say, like a Jarrett Culver 
just capitalize on that contract and maybe take back one more small asset for him because he's not adding to our team. So, like, a move involving him is fine. But, I mean, moving forward, we can probably shift the discuss- this discussion to, Ty, once you've given your opinion on this, like to Kyle Anderson and Tyus Jones as expiring contracts. Like, what do you do with them? I think that's an important question as well. But I want to see this team. I want to see what they're going to do. Yeah, that's a fantastic point about playoff experience and you because you're totally right like I've never seen Brantley more out on anyone than he is the Anthony Melton right now Courtney Lee Just, those are the two <laughs> see Lee kind of similar oddly um, <laughs> but you're you're totally right oh to on my, Melton thank you <laughs> on well Melton that playoff series primarily just the big moment, and like he has really struggled coming back. Um, I know he was out for a short while too, but he's shooting like 13% from three, like under 20% from the field altogether. He just looks different too. Like he used to be Mr. Do Something. We were texting about this. He's just, he's Mr. Do Nothing right now. He's just not doing anything at all. He's not active. He's not, he's just not doing much. I think that to my question, yes. I think there are guys that if we added right now, maybe we would be like in, like really intriguing coming out of the West. I do think to get one of those, it would really blow up our current roster. So it would be really tricky of how to maneuver that. I think, you know, Jalen Brown is the most interesting one. But that would probably take Bain, probably take Dylan, you know, maybe even have to throw in Zaire. We'd have to do three first round pit. Like it would be, it would be a blow up for that guy, and that would be more not worth like it. A, yeah, maybe you're not right. Maybe it. this year wouldn't be worth it. Maybe next year we could rebuild with some, I don't know, draft pick or two, get some other guys. I don't want. I'm kind of like Brantley. I don't want us to do that right now. Will you agree too? We all three did. I don't really want us to do anything like that right now. I think the internal development that our team has shown also is something to definitely keep an eye on. Like, yeah, Zaire is, like, not great right now, but to watch just the the jump that Bain just made from one to two, to watch the jump Ja even made from year one to year three, like, what if we look up in year three of Zaire is, like, this guy that we're like, oh, my gosh, what is this? Like, it yep. wouldn't shock me, you know? I don't want to give up on anything. But then the other side of me is, like, we have – assets we have draft capital i also don't want to be in a boston situation where we have three first round picks and we have to trade the 30th just to get off of him because we don't have a roster spot and we give up bane right it's a crazy thin margin the next here's we talk about growth for our players the next evolution of the franchise is seeing this iteration of leadership in the front office, like going to find their guy or two, not through the draft and developing them that way. It, it, it's got to be the next thing. So, and, and the reason I say it that way, are there, fran- are there teams like, let's just list ones that are obvious. You've got Portland, Sacramento, New Orleans, maybe Boston just because they're being rumored like in those discussions, those are kind of like Indiana is another one. And who am I leaving off there? Sort of obvious sort of like trade kind of 
like I mean, Sixers, if you want to include Sixers. Simmons, but that's the only other one. Did you mention so, Sacramento? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So those franchises are ones that I'm, I am anticipating us to be jumping in with our picks, having an evaluation of the talent that's on that team. Like, let me just throw random crazy. Like, maybe what if it's like, hey, maybe Marvin Bagley really could help us more than Brandon Clark could. Like, or – I don't. I'm not saying that's a real opinion of mine, but like, what does the front office have? Like, oh, maybe we should really get Buddy Healed because we think he's underutilized and he really could be better. Like, or Brandon Ingram is Zaire like times seven. So let's just go get Brandon Ingram because New Orleans is a poverty ass franchise and they're moving to Seattle anyway. So, <laughs> like, I, let's just. What are those? That's the next growth for the front office, and I really think it has to happen in the next year or two. Not in this offseason right now. Like, I don't really want it to. But I really do think that Jaws window's open. And we, like, I want to build long-term. I don't want to give up all of our, like, first-round picks and all of our capital that we've built. Like, I don't want to go all in that way. But I do want us to try to, like, make a – I don't want a Chandler Parsons bet. But I do want to make some sort right. of bet. But, to, yeah. yeah, to your point about the window being now and, like – but a part of it is, like – having three picks this summer, like that changes things that speeds things up a little bit. It's to me, it's going to be really hard to go into that draft with our loaded roster with only two guys coming off of it. I guess Culver's coming off of it too. So three guys being Tyus, Kyle Culver adding three first round picks. And we saw how hard it was for teams with like multiple first to move up. Like it just doesn't happen often. Like the Knicks had like picks 21 and 23 and they couldn't even get to, like, 18. Yeah. Like, it's really tough when you have those later picks. To Climate really like has figured out a way to bump, do bump, it bump. somehow. But he's, ta- uh, he's taking on assets. Like, or not assets, yeah. but he's taking on money. That's like, right. Like, they were doing anything they could to get off Bledsoe. And, like, the price for business was we move up in the draft. I think that window is closed. I think us taking on big stuff to gain things, I think, has potentially closed. Yeah. But, yeah, I think – I don't know, which is such a tricky spot to, like, identify a guy. Like, T.J. Warren is a great example to me, too. Kind of, like, very similar to Buddy Heald, right? He's a really good, like, shooter, score, doesn't really do, like, a ton else. But, like, could could he upgrade the Melton position? I don't know. Like, what is that worth? Like, what is, like, if you were just to swap Melton and Buddy Heald, like, what would that do for your bench scoring? I don't know. But, like, it's little, I think it's little stuff on the margins. It doesn't really hurt us long term doesn't like cap us long term and also maybe like doesn't isn't like a just this year kind of deal either um and could like a player that could develop with us along the way i just think it's really tricky and i'm like fascinated just by what we do and how we view things like kyle anderson we can talk about that if you'll want to a little bit like what's his value in our team realistically moving forward past this year like what is that well i just think that it's a really interesting situation because when we were looking at it, and I'm coming back to Kyle, but when we get when we're looking at the numbers moving out the next couple of years, truly we have next year with Ja, and then in 23-24 is when his presumably 30% max is going to kick in. And so you do still have, I mean, like another, you know, you have two trade deadlines and two summers before that happens. And so that to me was the original timeline, if I had to guess, of the front office of like, okay, we're just going to kind of continue to 
incrementally move up, let's say, I mean, I still think they should do this, but like moving your top or your latest two picks for like one that's a few picks ahead in the next draft and then packaging that pick and your your best pick to then move maybe a couple spots into that next echelon. And just like basically trade three for one and try to get, if your best pick is like 16, try to get to 14, you know? Like I'm fine with those moves. And actually, fun fact, Zach Kleiman has never not traded up a draft pick besides John Morant. He is every single draft pick is a trade up. And so he'll find a way to do that. And technically, on our books, we still could take on a Steven Adams type player with money out a little bit longer if we really wanted to do that. And if we really wanted to try and get one more guy, since our team is so strategically positioned with our young players being so cost controlled like Desmond Bain is making two and three million for the next like two or three years Zaire Williams is not going to make more than six million until the 25 or 20 26 season you know it's like all these different uh players that we have that are so cost controlled and it's funny because it's like those are the assets that teams are going to want since they're so young and have on such favorable deals on the Kyle front though to bring it all back I personally am in the camp of wanting to extend Kyle Anderson. And I think the problem is going to be is if he wants a number that is above what the front office thinks that he should be paid. And so he, to me, is so valuable in the sense that we're seeing this year on so many different teams how one injury can sort of uh, shake things up. And Kyle Anderson is a guy that, to me, can play – your most important positions, which are the three and the four. I mean, he can really come in and play on both sides of the ball, uh, distributing and also guarding your best, the the best wing uh, scorer on the other team. And so, like, he's a guy to me, and also a veteran presence, and I feel like he's just been a constant um, on this team. And, yes, he has his struggles. And, yes, like, I think there is a number in my mind that would be too high for Kyle Anderson. Um, but if he's going to make, you know, the the Dylan Brooks money of the twelve million dollar deals, I'm I'm about it. Well, it's also I, it'll be really interesting because it's like you you know there's there's so much. It's it's a lot of it's going to also be like where the front office do they agree with us with you know with, with on Jaws window, I would assume that they're thinking that way. How does that compare to? other franchises getting healthy do they you know size themselves up and 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 see like hey we took a leap this year and we can compete against a healthy clippers a healthy nuggets the jazz and a healthy warriors you know uh, and a healthy lakers you know like this year but but you also just never know when your window can open up and have like a bucks type scenario and like that's what this year is this year legit and, and that could happen in another two years from now where another weird something happens and all of a sudden the Grizz are primed to come out of the finals out of, of the West and that's our chance. And so that's where I'm just sort of, I'm going to be really intrigued to see how something gets pushed in to add, to take us into that next level. Cause I, I believe in the development of the team, but I also think that they're, you know, we need a true second star or third star, however you want to say it, to add it into sort of our core 
of you know just great team team building i think but i could be wrong yeah i think the other element of this and uh we can you know if there's any trade ideas we have we can throw them out here um in a second uh if not though it sounds like we're kind of all on the same page wanted to see this team play it out but uh the other part of this too is going to be really interesting with ownership and para and how how um how far he's willing going to be willing to go into the tax when the time comes. I think mm. that's going to be really interesting uh, because Ja is going to be making the 30% max. And I think we're going to look back on the Jaron contract and be really glad we locked that in when we did because it's not only is it not a max, but it's also descending. And so that's going to really help us. And um, this the, the cap environment has rebounded from COVID and it's going to continue to increase at least that's what people who are involved with it seem to think. And so um, I think that's only going to uh, to help us down the line. But at some point in time, you're going to have to make a decision on Dylan Brooks, especially when Desmond Bain, uh, when it's time to pay Desmond Bain. Because I, you're going to really, I mean, Bain is going to be like a $20 million player, I think. Like you're going to see... Uh, him get paid and you're going to have to decide whether you can afford all of these guys um, so it'll be interesting it'll be interesting if there is a guy on our team though in a in a larger deal that you would want to see included in that deal who would it be on our team yeah like who who basically who, who we would send out lose, yes yes I think of our main rotation guys I think the two main guys that I wouldn't necessarily be afraid to lose are Melton um, and loved your heartfelt message about Kyle, but I feel like Kyle as well. Um, Of the two, like, you know, top eight to nine rotation players on our team. Um, And part of that is because I think they both have decent value and I think their contracts are helpful. Um, I think you could get Melton Culver, the Utah pick, or the Lakers pick, or even our protected uh, protected Lakers or Memphis pick. I think you could go out and get something of value for sure. And I don't think that would take away from our current constructed roster. Um, yeah. I think it would only add, right? I think Melton's 12 to 14 minutes a night, I think that could be, again, if that was Buddy Hill getting 12 to 14 minutes a night, I think that would be an increase um, with what that position holds. Um, I yeah, those are those are kind of the guys: Culver, Melton, and Kyle. If we really think it's necessary, um, maybe Brandon as well, because I think he holds some value. But his contract is just so low that would only be for like the player himself. Um, so I think those three guys are probably the most likely um, to go. If I were to guess, what about you, BD? Yeah, I agree, and I'm honestly like I'm not necessarily like hoping that we do. Like I, I'm willing to, you know. So everyone's always like, "Well, don't lose the asset, don't lose the asset, don't lose the asset." With like in the sense of Kyle, like to me, his asset to us could just be like helping the current core have a good playoff run. That's yeah. worth. To me, that's worth more than getting some crappy shot at J- Justice Winslow or whatever it is, or yeah. equivalent type person. Um, 
and I've been on the record a lot of saying, and I know that we could technically find this type of person in the draft. I, I just really value Tyus Jones so much that like, I I don't want to trade him. He's like number, he's probably like fifth on my do not trade list right now. And I just, I know that's like crazy, but he just gives so much value. He able, he's able to spell jaw. Um, while Ja is still playing. We've talked about Tyus a lot, but and he just showed up in the playoff series. Like his eight to ten minutes that he gave us were real legit. He hit shots. I don't think you can just go draft Jalen Brunson every year. You know, if yeah. people want to say that you can and maybe I mean I trust our front office. I've already said that, but there's no guarantee that the, that rookie point guard can just come in and play and give you the same type of minutes in a playoff series like Tyus can. So, um, yeah. I think this is probably the area in which, and it's fun because it's like we're not having these big arguments about these like monumental franchise shifting decisions that are having to be made like these are truly on the margins i mean we're talking about melton's bench minutes and ties backing up jaw <laughs> which in the playoffs is going to be like eight minutes but right. like i think this is probably where we disagree because i value kyle way more than tyus in terms of especially like next year and con- continuing on because of the uh if i had to essentially like choose the free agent do you keep kyle or do you keep tyus like i would keep kyle uh because of the position that he's in and then also i think tyus jones is gonna make a lot of money next year i think he's good he's played himself into a great contract which i'm so like happy that he's done that who's gonna who's gonna pay him i think a lower level team that needs stability who i mean we mentioned not lower level, but Boston is a great example. We mentioned that on our text thread earlier. I think that a guy you could see that provided stability to a younger team this year is Ricky Rubio in Cleveland. And you saw a great contract that he's on, and I really think that Tyus Jones and Ricky Rubio are two really good like comps for each other in this league. I think that you've seen sort of how if, if like Detroit or somebody didn't just draft Cade Cunningham, they'd be another one. Um, if if Sacramento decides to trade Buddy or trade De'Aaron Fox, I think Tyus Jones is a great person to come in and actually like start. They still that have team. Halliburton. They could, but and he's I think are. better off ball. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sacramento is a bad. Boston is our only threat. That. I think I'm with you. I think Boston is like the only threat of someone who needs a point guard. Point guards are everywhere. But yeah, kind of to y'all's point, like I'm not in a position. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be like pumped if we were like, oh, Boston, you want to send us Neesmith and we'll do Tyus and then call it in. Like to Brantley's point about, hey, let's just take a flyer on this guy who hadn't like shown a lot, but was a you know decently high pick. Let's just kind of see where we are. Versus like Tyus, who brings true value, and this year he's like you know, to the fast break breakfast shout out that you did earlier. Like he would log all the like horrible plus minuses that Ja and Tyus had together. I would love to know what that is this year. I would love to know. It's not bad. To see if that's flipped a little bit. Um, Because there's been instances where they've closed games together because it's like, hey, we need a little bit more ball handling and creation. And Tyus is the other guy that does that really, really well, especially like with Dylan out. And to me, that, that's supposed to be Melton. Like, that's why he's on our team, to do a little bit of secondary ball handling, a little bit of this, playing with That's Jaw, a great point. 
and he's just not able to fill that role. I don't know if he's just in a slump and that will all change. I don't really know. I mean, last no, year. No, Melton's not a ball where... handler. He never has been a ball handler. That's, Every yeah, time that's... we've tried to give him the ball, he sucks. He can't do it. He, that's not yeah. what he does. That's it. He just puts don't it get in me a tough on my spot then. Just because his like his versatility is just really limited if he's like in there to kind of like hit a spot up shot if he's not hitting it. I just feel like we could upgrade that position potentially. Yeah, I don't know. Tyus is I feel like he has a pretty good bit of value. That's an interesting topic of who you'd rather keep between him and Kyle. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't know yeah. which way I'd go towards it, honestly. I think they I think I think it says Kyle a lot about BC kind of that you need to keep that you need to keep Kyle. That's sort of the like weird tension because they I I'm good with point Ty, too, like, yeah. Kyle and BC are the same position. They do different things, but theoretically, you'd love that role to be consolidated to one person. Yeah, like a point. Harrison Barnes type, like someone who can give you if Harrison Barnes had energy. <laughs> yeah, so like totally. a, a bit like can can kind of guard, play stretch four. I mean, you know I who love that player what Kyle is. Per- it's Miles Bridges. That's the player. I thought he was crazy energy. Can guard the three and the four. But I like Miles. Do you want to pay him thirty million dollars? He's, <laughs> he's not getting thirty million dollars. He's not getting a super max. He's probably gonna get like twenty. That's a not year. a super max. It's thirty uh, million. That's pretty significant. That's, yeah, you're right. He's not. He, he would he be more in like the Jaren twenty contract. Yeah, I could see him getting like a Jaren contract. No, I know. He I'm, may get like a hundred million five years or something like that, but. I, I don't know. That's, I a, think that's a name that I'm like really interested in. He's your new Zach Levine. I, I mean, a little bit. Yeah, we're pri- we're a little priced a little out bit. of Zach Levine. Yeah, Zach Levine. Do you know yeah, that that's he's a like million guy right there? Yeah, yeah. He's like one of the only because I was looking at the 2022 free agents, and that's the other part about this whole thing is that they're just even if we wanted to get in the mix in free agency. Like there's, there are not a lot of guys out there, and no. of course the top, the top five are like all player option guys like Harden, Beal, and Irving, who I would expect them to all pick up their thirty-four million dollar plus contracts. But then the next highest paid guy is Gary Harris, and then right after that is Levine, which he's going to sign with Chicago because they're going to give him all the money. Yeah. And then past that, you go down the list, and I'm telling you, like T.J. Warren is the other one, which is interesting. Uh, who's on this list, but, uh, you know, there's just not, not a ton to get excited about. But yeah. we'll see. I mean, it's going to be a really, really interesting trade deadline offseason. And I don't, I, I don't think Grizz Nation should be surprised if we see a big deal. Um, I, I would see go on it right the, now, this year? It, in the trade deadline, I would not be surprised if they decided to push in their chips for somebody that not necessarily is like the Jalen Brown level, but I think Ty and I had talked about Miles Turner. I think he would be a really, really interesting one uh, because Indiana is at a point where they're going to be ready to rebuild here soon, and or they should. I don't know if they will. So that's the big question. But I How think about Tur- Jeremy Grant? That's another one I've kind of thought of. People have floated that. Brantley, you're shaking your head. I think he's going to get – Okay. I think he's going to get um, – he's kind of the marquee target right now for yeah, a lot of people, lot of and I think he, people are going to overpay for him, and I don't see this front office overpaying yeah. for many yep. people. So no, I got we'll you. see. We'll see. Uh, the next – I think this is uh, – I, I wouldn't be shocked to see it, but I also would hope that they don't 
to bring it full circle, this discussion. And you can tell that we've been recording for two plus hours because now we're just talking in circles. And, uh, <laughs> but you know for what? Those of us that have, for those that have stuck with us to part two of two hours. That's right. Like, that's what's up. Listen, you, hey, we, we've been like over a month without content. So we hope that tonight has made up for that. That was 11, 11 topics for the 11 game win streak. And we are next game. A custom uh, t shirt code right now. Amen, amen. If I could create that this fast, I would have already created it. But I haven't been the, up uh, this late in so long, 4.15. Two a.m. hours in. <laughs> I know. It's I mean, I can see the sun coming out. Uh, <laughs> all right, Monday, 2.30, MLK game. That's the next matchup. We're playing the Bulls. I mean, at the beginning of the season, we this was in our draft, but it wasn't because of the opponent. It was because it was the MLK game. But now I'm pumped to see us play one of the top teams in the East. and. No Ty's Levine, boy, though. Zach Levine. Oh, no, he's no. not playing. That's right. That's right. He's got an MRI the other day on his knee, I believe. So no he won't play. No structural damage but... is what just broke. The news broke, but he's going to be out for a bit is what they said. Listen, that's not bad for the Grizz on Monday. Not bad mm-hmm. for the Grizz. But DeRozan has uh, – he's been playing out of his mind and has been a Grizz killer in, in the past. So we'll see. We'll see what happens on Monday. Let's get back to our winning ways. Uh, let's do it. Let's get another 11-game win streak uh, after this. And uh, any any final parting shots for for the listeners? Are we going to continue the like winning streak sabbatical? Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's the line? Is it like over under four and a half? If we I go over, then we don't. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that seems fair. That seems fair. We're not going to take credit for the win streak, but, I mean, you're We're welcome. We're not going to not everyone. take credit. Either. That's right. That's right. All right, so we got the Bulls, then the Bucks, then the Nuggets, then the Mavericks. Jeez, Next four games. It is going win. to be <laughs> It's going to be a I'll challenge. Win, so win, 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 win. Let's put our money where our mouth is. Um, let's get to the all-star break and uh, be in a great position in the West. Home court advantage, here we come. For Brantley, for Ty, I'm Will. Thanks so much for joining us. We will talk to you hopefully never again.